Welcome to the Demand Gen Club podcast, the first podcast exclusively dedicated to B2B demand generation secrets and best practices as shared by some of the top leaders in the industry. This podcast is brought to you by SASMQL, the account-based marketing agency based in Redwood City, California. They help venture-funded SaaS companies scale demand generation from target accounts. By combining intent data, automation, and a proven methodology, SASMQL can help your startup generate millions of dollars in sales opportunities within a few months. To learn more, go to sasmql.com. Welcome to another episode of the Demand Gen Cloud podcast. I'm your host, Franco Caporale, and today on the show we have Cyrus Sosman. Cyrus is the Director of Demand Generation at Quorum, the software that helps public affairs professionals track, change, and report on the policy landscape. Since joining Quorum in 2017, Cyrus has built the marketing department from the ground up and helped the company more than tripling net new ARR from inbound leads. His ABM strategy has nearly doubled outbound meeting schedule rate from 9% to 15%. Before Quorum, Cyrus was digital marketing manager at 1776 and Uber. He has several years of experience in revenue-driven multi-channel marketing and analytics. So I'm glad to welcome today Cyrus Sussman, Director of Demand Generation at Quorum. Cyrus, it's absolutely fantastic to have you on the show today. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. I would love to begin just with a little bit about you and how you got started with B2B Demand Generation to then become the Director of Demand Generation at Quorum. Absolutely. Yeah, I would love to talk about my, my story a little bit. I actually studied uh, communication in college, wanted to be a writer back in the day, but um, didn't quite pan out. I wasn't as good of a writer as I had, I had thought I was, so ended up trying to figure out what was the next step for me, and working at a communications firm in PR was actually the thing that made the most sense for me at the time. Um, after a few projects, though, I, I quickly realized that my niche was working on Excel there. I, I got a couple of Excel projects, learned how to do some pivot tables, advanced formulas, and quickly became a go-to person for the digital marketing team. And uh, before I knew it, I was managing multi-million dollar projects for the, uh, for the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, a couple of other government agencies. And I built a lot of really, uh, really cool technical skills on the advertising and analytics side. So uh, as I built out more of those skills, started solidifying my place on the marketing sort of side of things and uh, bounced around a couple of different jobs, built some experience with Salesforce, built some experience with databases, and also just having a degree in communications and, and being able to, to write halfway decently uh, helped me sort of make a move into the B2B space, both at 1776 and at Quorum, where I work today. And would you say that your current approach is more towards inbound marketing or more towards the account-based marketing process? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, historically, Quorum's inbound and outbound functions were pretty siloed. Uh, this year, we started making an effort to integrate them more with the lead scoring program, MQL-based systems, so that uh, our outbound um, specialists or BDRs are, are reaching out to folks who are warm but not necessarily inbound leads yet. Um, I would say as far as the marketing team's focus is concerned, um, historically, we've been heavy on inbound, um, but we're starting to broaden our horizons, and uh, we're getting better and better at, at working with the, the DDR team to really uh, start establishing a strong source of meetings from, from cold and, and warmer leads that aren't quite ready to reach out for help, but are interested in learning more. 
Nice, interesting. So this is a question I like to ask to every guest because I think it's very valuable to hear. What is your current tech stack from, from the marketing side and how does that reflect on, on the sales side as well? Yeah, so we've got um, a pretty robust tech stack with a bunch of different things. We actually just migrated websites two weeks ago. So we previously were on a Django-based application that was administered by our development team, and we just moved on to WordPress, which is pretty exciting because it unlocks a whole bunch of integration opportunities that we didn't have before. So I'm personally very excited about that. Um, we use all sorts of things, uh, for the sales team, uh, our integration with them is run out of Salesforce, uh, enterprise. We use HubSpot for marketing automation and all of that stuff there. Um, we have Google optimized to do AB testing that we just installed recently. We've got a, got a whole bunch of other ones stacked on there as well, but those are, those are really the key ones that. Where it's where we spend, you know, eighty ninety percent of our time is within those platforms. What do you use for uh, for analytics to track your uh, your metrics and results? Do you have a kind of third party platform, or is it all done into HubSpot and Salesforce? Uh, we we use a good bit of Google Analytics, uh, but it's it's done in tandem with Sales Salesforce and uh, and uh, HubSpot. Our, now that I think about it, our BDRs also use Salesloft as well. Salesloft for uh, sales automation, great. And uh, so tell us a little more about your team, how you guys are structured in, uh, in the marketing team. Yeah, we, uh, let's see, we've got uh, a pretty a wide variety of different functions these days. We've got uh, some, some folks focused on, we've got Teresa focused on comms. We've got uh, the demand generation team, which I manage, which includes me and Satya, who are focused on um, generating those meetings, both inbound and uh, with the help of our BDRs. Um, we have field marketing, we've got product marketing, you know, some of the standard stuff that you would expect to see. And so I want to go back to the metrics because that's a topic that I, uh, I'm very interested in. What are some of the metrics that you guys are tracking on a daily, weekly, monthly basis? And in particular, what are those metrics that are reported at the top at the executive level? Yeah, uh, the the thing that we're gold on is meeting scheduled. At the end of the day, we're trying to help our, our sales team meet with folks who can uh, build out their pipeline. So that is the all-important metric that we're marching towards on a regular basis. But we're watching a whole bunch of other ones, including things like demo requests, sales opportunities, conversion between different stages, MQLs, all that stuff. But knowing that at the end of the day, the thing that we're, we're gold on and we're really hyper-focused on is meeting set. And that's what you're measure on as well, like your team performance is like uh, qualified meetings, I assume. Do you guys yeah. have an SAL or SQL for that? Or you call that yeah, so we're not gold on any of the other metrics. We're obviously watching conversion all the way to the funnel and, and making sure that the quality of lead that we're sending over isn't all over the place. So that's, it's, it's stuff that we, we watch. We don't necessarily use SQL or SAL. Okay. Um, those those terms, but like the concept remains the same, right? We're watching to see how far along they get, whether or not sales does something with them, how it goes from there. So we're watching it, but it's not a core metric like meeting set. This is actually a particular, um, you know, interesting topic because it kind of goes on the handoff process that I know a lot of companies struggle with to optimize. How how do you go from marketing to sales? How does a lead or an account flows seamlessly? 
from your team to sales and then potentially back to your team for nurture. So how do you guys structure that? We have a, a variety of automations in place to try to make sure that we're, we're handing over leads to the, to the sales team at the right time. Um, our BDRs play an important role there as well uh, because they're the ones who are making the calls and sending the personalized emails to try to get folks in the room with our AEs. So it's a combination of different things across both automated systems as well as human beings checking things. And uh, the end result is generally we're looking for um, looking for a, a clear next step after each meeting that we have. And um, if it's if it's qualified and good to go, then the AE will take it. But if not, then um, they'll they'll go back into our lists, and uh, we'll see what we can do in terms of keeping them interested and warm, and and hopefully eventually getting a meeting set again. And do you use a scoring system in uh, in HubSpot to track that, or is it mostly done through like definition or uh, events? Yeah, we do actually use a lead scoring system. Um, that was a, <laughs> was, a, was a long project. We spent a long time working on that lead scoring system, but it is working now, and it's. Uh, takes into account um, all sorts of different attributes across both behavioral traits and demographic traits in terms of um, what type of person they are. Awesome. Yeah, this is now something that every company does. And um, do you have any recommendation if someone has to start with the lead scoring today? Because I know a lot of companies tend to overcomplicate it very quickly. Uh, so what would you recommend just since you just got through that, that process? Oh yeah, keep it simple, stupid. Um, nothing too fancy. Um, I think uh, the thing that kept us from deploying for so long was trying to make it perfect. That's something that I have historically done to a fault. And um, at a certain point, you got to get it off the ground. So um, you know, you pick a couple of of areas to make sure that you're you're covering your bases. You want to make sure that you're monitoring what they're doing on the site. You want to make sure you understand how well they're engaging with your emails. You want to know a good bit about what their title looks like and how that compares to your ideal buyer um, and their organization name. But you don't need to get too fancy beyond that. You know, you, you get some basic rules. Um, I'll always recommend that you don't just throw darts at the wall and say, I think that this has this value, but rather take a big spreadsheet, look at all of your contacts in the system, and then understand which traits tend to make someone more likely to convert. Um, actually in the numbers because you'll see some surprising things in terms of um, traits that you thought were going to be runaway positives that didn't really have much of an impact. So would absolutely recommend doing some basic analysis. And that is why it's so important to keep it simple. Because if you're looking at too many different attributes and too many different categories, it's going to be too hard to, to do meaningful analysis and to get a scoring system that works at the end of the day. Yeah, I found uh, a lot of companies that get too fixated also on the, the actual number values of the scoring. You know, do you give 20 oh, yeah. points or 25 oh, points? Yeah. And <laughs> that also becomes like uh, a roadblock to actually deploy the, the, the system. Oh, yeah. My, my manager, Jess, our, our VP of marketing at Quorum, has a lot of experience with these systems. And I, I had a fun time working with her on, on building it out. But in her, in her past organization, they use 75 as their point threshold. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? We're going to make 75 work. So the numbers are arbitrary. doesn't really matter what they, what they are as long as it's a nice round number that everybody likes. So we like 75. We made it happen and it worked well. Yeah, you can make 1,000. It doesn't, it doesn't really change, right? It doesn't yeah. matter. It does not matter. As long as everyone agrees. Mm -hmm. Cool. So another thing that I'm really curious to know is 
what is, uh, if you have to mention one or two, your top lead sources today, like what is really working for you guys? Yeah, at the end of the day, we're a B2B business. We love search. We love organic and paid search. Um, it's the right buyer at the right time, right? A lot of these other channels are interruptive. You might get the right person, but they might be, you know, watching cat videos. Who knows? Like, um, but with paid search and organic search, um, you know, it's the right person and you know that they're looking for help at that moment. So that's, uh, that's where we see a lot of success and spend a lot of time. On. How do you know that it's, uh, it's the right person? Because, you know, you might get someone, especially in search that, you know, they have their intent, but maybe their company is too small. They don't have the budget. You know, it doesn't meet all your qualification criteria. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and we do get people like that at the end of the day, but, um, we can monitor over time quality as a function of how well that channel converts, right? If we, if we are seeing 10 to 20 a week or 10 to 20 a month, whatever it is. And of those, we generally see about half come through the other end. If that conversion number, that conversion percentage doesn't move around too much, um, then we can be pretty confident that the quality is good enough to make it worth it. Um, especially if we're, if we're doing a cost per opportunity or cost per like further down the funnel kind of analysis where we're making sure that we're only paying for things that turn into actual pipeline. So that's what you use as a comparison metric is kind of like uh, obviously value of the pipeline and revenue, but also the cost per opportunity, cost per meeting or uh, some of those metrics. Absolutely. Yeah. We're, we don't, we don't really put a whole lot of stock in cost per click or, or even cost per demo request, to be honest, because it's just too high in the funnel and you can't really get a good read on, on what the quality is there. And that kind of leads me to the, the next question that I always ask, which is uh, probably by far my favorite topic, marketing attribution. So uh-huh. I would like to understand more what, what models do you guys use? You know, the first touch, last touch, you use multi-touch, some different model. And how do you track that from lead all the way to opportunity and revenue oh yeah this is a fun one i mean at the end of the day as i mentioned um i built out a lot of the systems that we have today so as a result they're semi-decent mostly crackpot methods that barely work but work well enough that we can continue doing the job so (laughs) there's a there's a long way for us to go in marketing attribution in particular but um i think um the basis of it is that uh, we're most interested in the the last touch that leads to that meeting. That's the one that we can watch the most closely. It's the easiest to attribute, and it's the one that gels the, the best with all of our different lead sources. So um, we spend a good bit of time optimizing to that, knowing that you know first touch, all these other things are are important at the end of the day. But um, it is, uh, it's, it's a little bit harder to report on some of that stuff uh, in this environment. So especially with the, with the fact that you got multiple leads per account, account-based marketing is not easy, um, all that stuff. Yeah. So you keep, uh, you keep an eye on first touch, but your, your main uh, optimization is focused on, on the last touch. Yep. Great. Yeah, perfect. That seems pretty uh, common in uh, especially for for companies selling into enterprise or you know the high range of mid-market to really try to go after the last touch especially when it becomes really complex sales Uh, it's it's hard to you know try to manage multi-touch or different algorithms to track the the different values or, or every single touch absolutely 
Awesome. So I want to go back to talk about campaigns a little bit. So besides the, you know, the standard lead sources that you guys uh, rely on on a monthly basis, when you look at campaigns or a single effort that you, you tested or maybe you put together, what is the most successful one that you run so far that really you run this campaign and really drove a lot of results, maybe more than what you expected? Yeah, uh, I gotta say, Satya on my team did an incredible job running a campaign around the COVID-19 pandemic back in, uh, in April, and she just drove eye-popping numbers with that one. I think it was a combination of really execu- excellent execution on her part in terms of a great um, prospect experience overall in terms of the, the webinar and the experience leading up the recruitment campaign, all that stuff. But um, I think the other, the other thing that really worked well about it was the timeliness and the value. Uh, this this series went up right as a lot of public affairs teams were focused on how to get a slice of that that COVID relief bill pie, and didn't quite know what was the right way to do it. And we we ran a webinar series on all the different ways that public affairs teams can use software like Quorum to achieve that goal. And we just saw in an unbelievable response, just huge numbers, huge engagement, um, and that was really really cool to watch. It was it was nice to see, and it was also nice to know that. At the end of the day, we were helping a lot of these organizations figure out their plan in the middle of an unprecedented time. That's awesome to hear. I'm glad that, you know, even in this period, you guys were able to, to pull something that, that really worked, which is actually oh, yeah. very hard, especially, and I would like to hear from you a little bit on, because uh, I know a lot of people in the demand generation, they always struggle to get uh, webinar registrations. And so what, what, what was the, the key there to really drive uh, the high number of registration for a webinar. Did you guys use any particular channel? Was all internal list? How, how did that work? It's Satya. She's the secret sauce. I don't know. <laughs> at the end of the day, she's she's good at what she does. But I think uh, some of the channels. She's she's heavy on email. Um, we've used a good bit of email sponsorships at times, but um, I think it's really just knowing knowing what your audience looks like and what's going to get their attention and and what they're interested in and. I think um, we've we've gotten good at it over time, and uh, Satya knows how to talk to them, knows how to use subject lines that are that are attention grabbing. And um, I will say, technically, one thing that helped a lot um, is we started using uh, we we started using HubSpot landing pages back before we migrated websites. We're now going to be able to do this on our on our normal website, but um, those HubSpot landing pages offered us the opportunity to have auto filled form fields for users who have previously been cookied. And that was something that wasn't possible before. So that has a huge impact on your um, form completion rate for people who end up visiting that page because they don't have to type in that info. And it goes from being a thing where they have to type in their name and address and all that stuff um, to not only they don't have to do the work, but also a reminder that, hey, we already have this info for you. So it's not even like you're giving us new info. Um, and that has a huge impact on um, form completion rates. So we, we implemented that uh, earlier this year, and that definitely helped as well. That's awesome. Yeah, I had the same experience with uh, the form. Obviously, the longer the, longer the form, the, the smallest the conversion rate. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, auto-completion is, is really key, or at least reduce the number of fields if you're not able to, to pull off the, the auto-completion. Absolutely. Instead, on the other end, on the opposite side of the spectrum, what was your least successful demand joint campaign? Like something that maybe you tested, you wanted to try, <laughs> it didn't work out at all, and you wouldn't do it again. 
again. And it doesn't have to be a quorum. It can be maybe in a, in a previous company. Oh, man. Where to start? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of those. I don't know. It's tough to say because it's sometimes hit or miss, you know? Like, you'll you'll run one sponsorship and you'll get 10 meetings and two opportunities from it. And then you'll run it again two months later and then you'll get nothing. It's, uh, there's, there's, that's, I guess the beauty of, of marketing is that it is, it's got, there's a human element to it. At the end of the day, there's a bunch of people on the other end and sometimes it works with people and sometimes it doesn't. So, um, when I think of specific examples of, of flops that stick out in my mind, we, uh, we spent a lot of time doing uh, content marketing for for a lot of my early time at Quorum, and it showed great engagement. But um, at the time, it just didn't really drive pipeline, and I don't I don't think that we really had a grasp on that until uh, a good deal later. So um, it had the the nice side benefit of building us uh, an avid following of people who were interested in our content, and I guess that that helps a little bit down the road. But in the moment, it was pretty frustrating because the amount of work we'd pour into this stuff, and we would just get no demo requests, no meetings, no nothing. And those um, were blog blog posts or uh, other yeah, time? these are these are data reports, blogs, like any any kind of stuff around what's happening in Congress or state legislatures. And, Got it. Um, and again, like we drive we drive big, big, exciting buzz around it, and then have nothing to show for it when it comes to sales. So that was. <laughs> Oh, it was frustrating, but I'm sure we've had we've had we've had certainly worse mistakes, but that's the one that comes to mind just because of the amount of work we put into that kind of stuff. Yeah, maybe that was not even a mistake. It's just uh, yeah, content marketing takes such a long time to see the effect, and uh, in general, tech companies don't have that patient to wait, right? <laughs> maybe it's that's else. probably a better way of framing it. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's honestly, I think that's honestly the truth. So someone maybe else failed here. Yeah, someone else will benefit from that in the in the future. That's fair. That's absolutely fair. That's awesome. So I, you know, I I could keep talking, but I wanna for the sake of time make sure I ask you at least two or three more questions. In particular, one that is always controversial, and I I really like to ask: Do you think that the SDR should report under marketing or under sales, and why? <laughs> the the never-ending question. We've done both at Quorum. My boss, Jess, our VP of marketing, does an excellent job of managing our BDRs right now. I think that it takes the right leader, right? Jess is absolutely the right leader, and I think it works well for us here at Quorum. I can also see why it wouldn't necessarily work well at all companies. So it, it, it is certainly a, an awesome way to make sure that the marketing team feels more bought into the overall goal of generating pipeline. And that the SDR team and the BDR team feels a little bit more equipped to do, to do their jobs well, right? To have that marketing support to be to be part of that that broader system, and I think there's a lot of benefits to it. I will say that um, it does it is tough just because there's a lot more to marketing than just meetings, right? Whereas the the BDR teams oftentimes are hyper focused on meetings and just meetings, so it does make it tough. And if you don't necessarily have the right leaders in place, it won't work as well. So um, the system we've got right now is that the, the BDRs are poured up into marketing and it's, it's working pretty well for us, but you know, it's, it's not for everyone and uh, you can build success from what I've seen in, in my, my, my career so far, you can build success both ways. And so in your case, all the BDRs report into marketing? Yeah. So do you have them divided into like inbound and outbound or they do a little bit of both? No, so we've actually built systems to auto-allocate inbounds to them. 
whenever possible based on territory. So based on what type of organization types they're chasing down, we can, we've got some data in Salesforce that helps us auto link without any human input. Um, and then when not possible, we, we automatically allocate like evenly across the, the BDR team. So they all split the inbounds and the warm leads together. Very nice. And so that leads me to another question on the sales side is how do you maintain that sales alignment that is necessary, especially when the BDRs are uh, under the marketing team and then you have the, the sales rep, account executives. How do you guys stay aligned in terms of goals or activities, programs? Do you have any cadence or uh, any process in place like that? Hard work. You know, it's, it takes, it's hard work to communicate at the end of the day. So, um, we're working, we're, we're doing our best to make sure that we're staying pretty closely aligned. We have a weekly meeting with our sales leaders and we're always trying to make sure that everybody knows what's going on with each other so that we can, we can support each other more at the end of the day, which is, which is the goal. So, um, I think when it comes down to reports and things like that, um, there are certain accountability metrics that we report out as a team and there are certain accountability metrics that the sales team reports out. Um, there's always room to improve, right? Sales and marketing is one of the harder types of relationships that are <laughs> known to the professional world. It's always been a tough one. So if you're able to have that foundation, the rest of it gets easier, you know, but, but building that I think is a, is a crucial part of being able to get better alignment between those two types of teams. Nice. Very nice. Thank you. I, I love this answer. And so before, uh, before I leave you today, I want to, I would like you to share with us like one marketing or demand generation hack that you did and it worked out really well and it was very profitable that maybe we can try as well yeah you know i mean there's all sorts of little serendipitous ones that have popped up over the years one of my favorites that i just kind of didn't expect much out of uh was uh, newsletter sponsorships so we uh we ended up sponsoring a newsletter here in dc that, you know, it seemed like it aligned well with our buyer personas, but I, I was thinking of it more as a brand play than anything. And it ended up spitting out like, what was it, five, six, seven demos and a couple opportunities out of there. And it wasn't that expensive and it was a one shot sponsorship. And it was, you know, we spent a little bit of time working on the creative for it, but it was, it was really exciting to see that thing go off and just all the meetings come in. So it's been, it's tough to replicate, right? Like we didn't, we have, we've tried that a couple times since then I haven't quite gotten the same results but I think it's less of a hack and more of a of a perspective which is that you got to diversify and trust that in the long run um, you don't want to have all your eggs in one basket it's, you know it's just like investing your your stuff financially you don't want to be too reliant on one channel or one particular thing and if you're if you're constantly testing new things and if you're if you're trying different channels sometime when sometimes when you're your reliable channels end up sucking um something else will step up and help you out you know and that's we've seen that pan out a couple times and that was a good example of it but it was a it was a fun fun campaign to see it work so well that's awesome i agree 100 percent on the diversification of of channels which obviously involves testing many many things that might fail as well but that's exactly necessary. perfect yeah that exactly. was that was really fantastic to have you today cyrus thanks again for joining us thanks so much franco i really enjoyed it Thanks again. Thanks, everyone. Have a good one.